My name is Jenna. Just Jenna. My last name doesn't matter. Where I live and go to school don't matter either. What matters is, we're in a podcast. Fandalites, we're doing book 31, The Conspiracy. Jake's grandpa has passed away and the family will have to go away for over three days for the funeral. Tom's Yerk is understandably concerned about starving to death and Jake is aware of it. Once he realizes that Tom's best chance is to make dad a host, the Animorphs are on high alert. After one foil attempt and a false alarm, Jake manages to disrupt a drive-by shooting. The family goes into the woods to the deceased grandpa's cabin, but Jake is still keeping an eye on Tom. One evening, he awakes to find Tom and his father on a pier out in the lake, with Tom poised to murder his dad with a dagger. The rest of the Animorphs are there to stop the assassination, injuring Tom in the process. The Chi, disguised as helicopter operators, take Tom back into civilization, where he will presumably have access to Kendrona Rays once again. Brent, give us the info on our author. Because it's one oh, we've had before. That's right. Uh, the Conspiracy was ghostwritten by Laura Bachani Weiss, who also wrote books 27 and 39 um, under her own name. She writes heavier themed YA fiction than this, if you can believe it. Uh, her <laughs> latest novel is Me Since You. She's at Laura Weiss on Twitter, and her webpage is laurawiess.com. That's W I E S S. I hope I'm saying it right. If you're listening, please let me know. <laughs> Yeah, and so the the previous book that she'd written was, I think, number 27, The Exposed. Is that right? The one with the chi malfunctioning? Yes. I And I, I recall more or less really enjoying that book. I really enjoyed this book as well. It was extremely engaging. It was hard to take a lot of notes on because it was so... I, I was so wrapped up in what was happening. Yeah, the, the writing was really good and it was well-paced. And just the concept, I thought, was so strong of like... It, Here's this thing that happened. Grandpa's died. It's a family a family responsibility that is really going to fuck Tom over because he is a yerk. That's a good yeah. concept. Yeah, all of a sudden the yerks discover uh, the downside of controlling teens. Yeah, is that they don't have control. It's, it's weird to me that the yerks don't infest like whole families at once so they don't have to deal with this sort of thing yeah it is a little strange but i mean we learned that they sort of infected tom by accident because he was following a pretty girl that's true <laughs> yeah and there's probably no reason to waste waste a bunch of yurks on the rest of the this family although they don't know that that would actually have been a very good plan i don't think we knew before this book that jake's dad was a doctor and i'm inferring from jake's commentary running through the whole day where he's keeping him under surveillance, that he's a pediatrician as well. Yeah, he seems to, most of his his patients seem to be kids, which is just good to know. We just didn't know that. It's like if we were piecing together their identity, that would be like a really good thing to know, right? Like, like not that we are. That would be a creepy thing to do. But if we were, now we'd know. <laughs> uh, so it might not be like high-powered, but it does seem like a pediatrician's office might be a good vector to infect the widest 
possible amount of humans if you're just looking to take all of them as hosts. I mean, I kind of assume that the Yerk's plan for the time being is to get a foothold so that you can import more Yerks. Because it really doesn't, it doesn't seem like based on the population of Yerks we've seen versus the population of humans, like it doesn't seem like there's enough Yerks. Yeah, that's true. That's that's true. That's true. They are an expeditionary force as much as anything. I assume they're just sort of getting footholds trying to take maybe like a region enough so that they can import more Yerks and or, I don't know, breed or, or maybe they're just treading water until they have enough people. They must be trying to take a specific region because Tom going to Grandpa G's cabin is far enough away that there's no nearby Yerk pool. Yeah, and it was it was surprising to me that the Yerks don't have a better plan than we're either going to infect Tom's host's dad or kill him in a drive-by shooting. Well, we know that they have portable Candronas, like single-use portable yeah. Candronas, because we saw Visser 1 use them. But they must be for higher-ranking people than Tom. To be honest, the first thing that I thought, like, first three pages of this book, was... The obvious solution here is to just infect both of Jake's parents with Yerks. Yeah. So that seems to be like probably the easiest way to go about it, unless they've got real limited numbers. But yeah, it, it does seem weird that they wouldn't just kill Tom. Yeah, I'm, I've sort of, I've sort of taken for granted that the Yerks' end game was to infect the entire Earth. So if you have like a reason, a motivation, like to keep Tom's Yerk alive. You know, why not Why not put somebody in that body? But the fact that they aren't, I mean, they try, but it doesn't work. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm starting to feel like maybe there are fewer Yerks than are humans, and maybe the Yerks are a more valuable commodity than we're realizing. But the Yerk pool is so big, and Visser 3 kills them so often. I know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, they do, they do try to take Jake's dad. Presumably, because they, they, they have that emergency sharing meeting in the strip mall, in the antique shop. <laughs> <laughs> and and that goes wrong because Marco fucks up a bunch of cars as a gorilla, which I thought was very funny. Big mood. I just like the idea that Marco's <laughs> like, I'm going to... Rachel's not here, so guess I'm going to... Gorilla? And then he just breaks a bunch of cars. I appreciate that he actually said let's do it, specifically because <laughs> Rachel wasn't there to. Yeah, Rachel was not around a lot in this book. She also wasn't at the funeral, so the, the grandpa that died must not have been a relation. Well, they they, uh, they specifically talk about that at some point in the book. Axe is confused why she isn't also being made to attend, and she says that she's related to Jake through his dad and... The grandpa that died is related to his mom, and Axe yeah. doesn't really understand that either, because Andalites don't have nephews. Yeah, whatever. They're missing out. There's a chance that they were just going to kill Jake's dad at the secret sharing meeting, but that just seems unlikely to me. It seems like that was an infestation plan, and when that went wrong, they were like, well, our other option is just to kill him by sending Chapman in a car with a dude with a gun. To shoot him on his front lawn. If I were a Yurk, <laughs> I yeah. would try to infect 
with a Yurk. Try to infest with a Yurk as my plan A. But then it seems like it would be so much easier than doing a drive-by shooting in a suburb. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, despite being carried out by aliens, uh, it is possibly the widest drive-by shooting I can imagine. Like, the, the driver was the principal of their <laughs> of their middle school. <laughs> yeah, I like that Jake recognized him, and as just like a cherry on top of having stopped the attempt, was like, hey, Chapman, hey, Principal Chapman. That was fucking great. That, that was, was very the, good. The, the best decision Jake made this whole book, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful, iconic transition to talking about Jake's whole fucking deal in this book. Because it's he's he is off the rails. He cannot deal with what's happening. Jake is all over the shop. Marco had had to deal with his mom being a controller and then having to kill his mom, and. He's not doing good, but he was able to keep it together. Jake's just falling apart. He is making terrible decisions and putting everybody in danger, and that's that's how we do. Yeah, Marco, I mean, Marco seems at least a little bit in denial about what's happening. I feel like part of this is the fact that Tom is already gone and Jake has to live with that on a day-to-day basis, because Marco's mom is gone Physically, he doesn't have to face that situation literally face to face every single day. But Jake does have to face Tom in a very literal sense every morning and evening. And that's got to be its own sort of terror. So it, it, it makes sense to me to a certain point that he was like, cannot fucking go through that again with my dad. I thought we were pretty certain that one of Cassie's parents is a controller. Oh, Cassie's mom, I am pretty certain, is. But but they don't know that okay. for certain. All right, that's fair. And in fact, Tom is the only one of their relatives that we know for certain 100% is a host. Except for Marco's mom, who is potentially dead. Yes. But there's no way she's dead. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely not. She'll be back. But that that is its own sort of, like, I can't even imagine stress. So the the fact that when faced with the possibility that his dad might also get infected, that is rough. I, I can I can appreciate him falling apart, but I also worry what that foreshadows about Jake's future leadership. Because this is not going to be the first time this happens, I don't think. Yeah, and, and he, he meditates on that a little at the end, how... He he's sort of gaining a new appreciation for his grandpa that served in, or great grandpa, I guess, II. that served in World War II. Yeah. I mean, so did all of the Animorphs, as it turns out. That I thought that was a really fascinating undercurrent, having just done Megamorphs 3. I thought that was a really interesting sort of sub-tension to bring to this book. Especially since we have that, like, really good scene. With, with Tom and Jake looking at their great-grandpa's footlocker, and Jake is drawn to the medals, and Tom is drawn to, like, an SS dagger. Was it an SS dagger? It was or an SS I... dagger, yes. Oh, fucking Animorphs. <laughs> so he has, <laughs> he has a dagger. He took off, like, an, a dead SS officer. And Tom is like, hey, that's pretty cool. Jake's like, no, the medals are cool. They represent honor. A dagger is just violence. And Tom's like, no, a dagger is cool. 
And it was a lot better than how I just performed it. It was actually like really <laughs> engaging and moving. And I, I read it and I was like, fuck, this is fucking good writing. The thing that I thought was really interesting about that scene is that the overall message of the series as a whole seems to fit some of the things that Tom was saying better than some of the things that Jake was saying, but sort of hmm. not in the way that Tom was saying them. How do you mean? Well, so like Tom said, honor and glory are things that people talk about after they've won. Hmm. And a lot of the message of Animorphs is that war is horrible. And anybody who's talking about how like glorious war is or how there's honor in it is pretty much full of shit or someone who hasn't been in a war. And so it's the same sentiment, but when Tom says it, when Tom's Yerk says it, he's trying to put down the ideas of honor and glory rather than put down the state of war. Hmm. Which I thought was an interesting contrast to how I read the rest of the series. Uh, feel free to disagree. No, I, I think that's fair. They... The Animorphs themselves do have a lot of discussion about how to maintain their personal honor, Cassie especially, in war. And so I think it's something that they do discuss, but also by the same token, as we have joked about a lot, their concepts of honor fall by the wayside almost immediately whenever they're in combat. Yeah, and, and Jake does sort of reckon a little bit with that at the end where he's talking about how like, if his war ever ends, he'll have to get a footlocker. Because he's yeah. sort of understood why there is honor in having done things to win those medals, but you don't necessarily want to display them. You want to put them in your attic in a footlocker because you don't want to think about the things that, that you had to do in experience in order to get those. Yeah, I thought that was a really great moment, again, because the writing was so strong, but also because it, it made me think back to like the first couple of books, especially in the first book, which ends with Jake sort of being like, well, we just have to hold on until the Andalites get here. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Remember, Brent? Remember? Yeah. God. And so it, it was a really interesting counterpoint to hear Jake being like, well, if I fucking survive... This fucking war, I guess I'll need a footlocker. And that was, I mean, I mean, we're, we're 31 books in now. So that's an, I think an appropriate change. But I, I just thought it was really stark and really well done. Yeah, I think all, all side stories counted. We're actually close to the end now to the beginning, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we are definitely over the halfway point. Brent, feel it. Mm. Yeah, it's bittersweet. That's that, that grunt of <laughs> distress. Is an appropriate way of feeling. So what else in this book did you want to dig into? I know you wanted to talk about how uh, the whole kidnapping Chapman, which I did not actually talk about in the synopsis. That's on me. <laughs> right. So Jake comes up with the the most Hail Mary plan <laughs> probably that they ever have, which is distract the Yerks from solving Tom's problem by giving them a more important problem to solve. That it's is, a fucking good plan. That's funny. That's the opposite of what you said before we started recording. Yeah, you convinced me, Brent. You said, like, one thing about how... <laughs> no, I mean, you convinced me. Like, it's a, it's a good... It's a good plan, 
it not only is it a good plan for this very specific situation, it's just something that they should maybe consider doing instead of waiting for the chi to drop, like, tidbits of useful info. Yeah, it sure is a fucking desperate plan, but, like, in retrospect, and Jake's beating himself up about this plan, but kidnapping and starving high-ranking Yurk controllers would probably be a more decisive blow against the Yurks than they've dealt so far, especially if they get people who are going to be believed if they get enough of them. And as soon as one starts going, then Hecate can leverage her network. And I don't I don't know if Chapman is necessarily the best target for that kind of plan, because um, Mrs. Chapman is also a controller. So there's... I feel like there's a chance that could backfire and end up with Chapman just getting committed or something like that. Yeah, and I guess Chapman is technically a voluntary controller of a sort, since he's yeah. in it to keep his daughter from getting controllered until the last possible second. Yeah, that is absolutely true. So not 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 the ideal target for that kind of plan, but maybe... I, I it, It's just that Animorphs have played such a defensive responsive and not very proactive sort of combat and i think that's morally probably their best bet it is like i I feel like they would feel very bad if they got a controller and starved the yerk out purposely well they don't seem to feel very bad about just straight up murdering the host with a yerk in it i'm that's in battle which is i think probably the distinction they're making (laughs) (sighs) I guess it's it's difficult to separate when you have a situation where you always have the option of capturing and then waiting for the maybe this is a racist thing for me to say, uh, but it seems like a difficult decision when you always have the option of capturing and then waiting for the alien species to die off and the human to remain. Uh, and y- you can justify murder in the heat of battle, but it, it seems dicier, not dicier. It seems grayer, mm. I guess, to say like, well, we can't we can't kill this prisoner of war because if you don't, they're just no, the whole thing's fucked. Yeah, I think probably probably a more definitive reason why they would not do that is because of Jake's own personal experience being in being the host of a starving Yurk, which by all accounts sounded extremely nightmarish. Yes. And I mean, is it, is it worse than being a host? I would probably assume not. But I think I don't I just don't see Jake or Cassie going along with that sort of plan. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, and obviously Axe has issues with at least communicating the Yurk's potential fate to it. Oh, yeah, the the the. sort of fake torture, but also sort of not fake torture. Psychological torture, I suppose. Yeah, that Axe has to perform on captive Chapman because Axe is the only Andalite among them. (laughs) Tobias is like half Andalite. Yeah, but he doesn't look like an Andalite, and that's really all that matters. That's fair. For this this sort of maneuver. But I, I really appreciated him standing up to Jake and being like, I'm not ever going to do this again, okay? And Jake being like, yeah, that's totally fair. This is a <laughs> really bad thing to ask of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, putting aside for a second the ethics of kidnapping Chapman, can we talk about how buck-fucking-wild it is that he has statues 
that shoot goddamn <laughs> lasers out of their eyes aimed at his front door? Uh, I mean, the Yurk and Chapman must be so important. I mean, I know we've seen him talk to Visor 3, but, like, what is he doing, really, for the war effort? How is he justifying the expense of statuary-based home defense? The Yurk in Chapman is a huge <laughs> Castlevania fan. <laughs> Add some Japanese text and pastel colors and he's living in a fucking Vaporwave album cover. It's insane. Laser eyes on the stat. Like, I, one, who has a bust in their fucking entryway? Just yeah. hanging out there. That's a sure sign. That's the Animorphs' new tell if they're in the home of a controller. If they walk in and there's a bust that's suspiciously out of place in the entryway, you know. You know you're in a controller's house. I mean, it's either a controller or a rich person. Either way, send them the guillotine. Either way, it's Bob Finestre. <laughs> yeah, Joe Bob Finestre. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the fact that they kept Chapman in the vacant house, this is something I wanted to hear your opinion on, because you indicated that you thought it was a good plan, and I thought it was a very bad plan. Because mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're on, like, the same street, and they just drag Chapman into a vacant home and just, like, torture him. That seems like a bad plan. So it, it's one of those things that's only a bad plan if you didn't outthink the people that you're trying to outthink. If that okay, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that does make sense. I And I guess it does work for them. It just doesn't seem like it should. It's sort of a quantum plan in that it can only be a good or bad plan in retrospect, depending on hmm. how the waveform collapses. Yeah, and in my book, that's a bad plan, even if it works out well. I, I mean, I don't... <sighs> Like if there's a if there's that big a chance that this is a terrible terrible plan, then it's probably just a bad plan. Like you could just have a better plan. Like you can just take him into the forest. I mean, they're not wrong though about the last place they'll look for him being right next to where he got abducted. Yeah, unless he like screams <laughs> or 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 I mean, I think probably in the the long term plan which is at the end of the day they're gonna break some glass and he's gonna escape because they let him escape in that case yeah the vacant house next door was probably the best bet because that's very easy right because their plan wasn't actually kidnap him and starve the yurk they already have a shack in the woods for that <laughs> that's true they do have a shack in the woods the, for that. the yurk starving shack <laughs> not as fun as the love shack <laughs> they're both tin roof rusted yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it works out. It worked out. So I guess I can't complain too much, except that I can, and you'll listen to it. Welcome to the Fandalite. <laughs> God, that's a new tagline. That's better than more canon than canon. I can't complain, except that I can, and you'll listen to it. <laughs> um, What else? So I had some thoughts. Uh, confusion, more, towards the end. The... The way that Marco sort of, and and I thought that uh, the author here, uh, Laura Weiss, was very influenced by Marco's characterization in the reunion, which hmm. of course is the book where he's devised the 
the bright line between points A and B in terms of how to get rid of this or one and can completely ignore any externalities from that because that's sort of how he's characterized in that. And I think that's a good characterization for Marco. Um, it's like good, good on you. Obviously, obviously Laura Weiss read the uh, couple books before this, <laughs> his plan at the end makes a sort of sense, but Tom's plan, I don't really understand because he's going to stab their dad <laughs> with an SS dagger, and then push him in a lake, presumably, and then what? How does that get him back to the Yurk pool, exactly? Yeah, it doesn't... It seems like it would... It, like, even if he's successful in killing him, and gets, like, the car keys and drives off, his cover is blown uh, as far open as it almost can be, without him actually being exposed as an alien. In the- so I think you you make a great point. In the grim and gritty 2018 Netflix reboot, Tom's solution to this, rather than killing their dad, is to bite on a stick and break his own leg to get medevaced out. That would have been a much better plan. I can't believe Tom didn't think of that. If Tom had been Marco, he would have thought of that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because Marco's very good at seeing that ruthless plan. Yes, but Tom and and Jake are related, so they're both uh, burdened with that that crazy brain of theirs, which panics in in important moments like this. But it's not Tom's brain that's making the decisions; it's the yerk. But we know that we know the hosts influence the controllers as much as well, not as much as much, but they do have an influence. Some, you're right. Yeah, Tom is making his yerk dumb. There's a Marco quote. <laughs> That's that's really good, actually. And not even on purpose, <laughs> just by being Tom. Yeah. There's a Marco quote in this uh, that I thought was extremely dark, but also extremely relatable for those of us that hate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what he, he said to Jake, where he was just laying it out, like, I you can't make this decision. And Jake's like, well, you did when it was your mom. And Marco's like, yeah, but that's me. I'd like myself if I was, I'd like myself more if I was like you. Mm. Uh, dark. I. It is very dark, but I think it, it speaks to their sort of friendship and why it is the way it is. Because Jake has a very natural way with people. As we've seen in previous books, he, he understands on an instinctive level almost how people are going to act and what choices they're going to make. And, and that has come through in, in how he sort of manages the strong personalities of the Animorphs. Whereas Marco, I think, desperately wants to, like, he really wants to be charming. He really wants to engage people. Um, e- even when he fails with jokes, like, he's still, like, he still wants Rachel to engage with him. But he he often has difficulty doing that. So I I feel like there's a part of Marco that really envies Jake, mm-hmm. that sort of people person, just know how and how easy he can do it. Whereas, which I think is kind of a shame because Marco I feel like would almost, I mean in this book he is a better leader. Period. Because Jake is spiraling. But I I feel like. I know we've had this discussion before about which one we think would be the best leader. I feel like if Marco could put aside that desire to be liked and loved, I think he would be the best leader for the Animorphs. Man, I I, I think if Marco put aside his desire to be liked and loved for certain values of best, you are correct. Mm. 
he would probably be the most effective at a guerrilla war in terms of inflicting casualties on the other side. But, and this may be something that we are only like fucking 31 books in (laughs) uh, coming to appreciate about Jake. Marco, if left in charge, will always follow the bright line. He will always disregard the consequences and the morality Mm. and accomplish the goal. And Jake can sort of mediate that somewhat because he's he's also got Cassie there who is not even looking at the goal a lot of the time, but looking at the like, what are we after we do this? And he's Mm. got Rachel there who doesn't even care what they're doing. Just let's do it. And he's got Tobias there who Tobias uh, (laughs) is not aware that teenagers can't just tell their parents that they're not going to do a thing and then just don't because Tobias' home life was garbage. Sweet Tobias. It's the it's it's it it really it made me smile, but also a little sad. Rachel like snapped at him. Your relatives are jerks and they didn't deserve you (laughs) because even when Rachel's being short with Tobias, she can't help but somehow be sweet. That was a very good moment, and it made me very sad for Tobias. But I'm glad Rachel Rachel was there to sort of prop up his sad, sad moment. <laughs> like, no wonder he's a hawk. God damn. Yeah, no wonder he's a hawk. But I think, I think you've touched on something that I think is true, is that I think Marco would probably be more effective at fighting a guerrilla war. But I think he'd also be more willing to sacrifice the other Animorphs to get it done. Like once he was mm-hmm. reluctant at first, once he goes all in, I don't think he would be as good as making sure all the Animorphs make it through alive. And I think Jake has enough of that personal touch and emotional connection that that he will make the choices that will keep them alive, even if it means the war is longer or less effective. Right. At the beginning of the series, Marco very much wanted to just not be involved. And I think we're starting to see, at this point, the root of that desire. Because now that he is committed, now that there's no way out but through, he is willing to sacrifice anyone and anything to accomplish the goal. And he didn't want to become that. Which is fair. I think in a lot of ways, Rachel and Marco are just so similar. We've talked about that before, I think. Yeah, and I just want to loop back on it, I guess. Yeah. Because I I think we see Cassie and Jake both very, very human and and very much in in connection with what it means to be human and that personal touch. And then we have Rachel and Marco who are very, very goal-oriented and are are willing to give up some things that maybe they shouldn't in order to get that stuff done. And I think that's an interesting combo. I'm wondering how Tobias and Axe fit into that False dichotomy that I've just created. Well, we already have established that Tobias and Axe are the third way, where they're watching sitcoms and passing a bong <laughs> back and forth in the woods <laughs> in Axe's scoop. Yeah, they're both followers. Maybe that's <laughs> what can be said for them. Yeah, well, Axe definitely. He's got to have a prince. And Tobias just seems to really go go with the flow. And by flow, I mean airflow. Yes, he's all about those thermals. Tobias does seem like the sort of dude who will not make decisions about his own life, even if forced to. I mean, he will just sit and become a hawk. Like, he will just let that happen to himself. Yeah, he will He will sit and not 
talk about his feelings with Rachel, even though they're both exploding with feelings at each other. <laughs> Just exploding yeah. like shrapnel out of a fucking claymore of feelings at each other. Front towards love interest. <laughs> Him and Rachel. Such a good combo. Yeah. What else? What else in here? Um, These books have made me really start to worry irrationally about how many bugs I could have just like on me <laughs> at all times. Because <laughs> of the whole weird slapstick section with Jake as a roach climbing into his dad's pant cuff. Uh-huh. And just like hanging around in his dad's clothes like as a roach. Like, yeah, uh, that's not the first time that they've just like hitched a ride on somebody as like a fly or a spider or a roach or whatever. And it's starting to I'm starting to feel like I'm getting a complex. <laughs> I mean, I feel for the most part, bugs are more afraid of us than we are of them. I you do not know how afraid I am of bugs. <laughs> that's fair. When I was in Yellowstone, I was like walking around the park and then I went inside and did some shopping. And as I went to pay for some postcards, the person behind the cashier was like, you've got a bug on your shoulder. And I had this beautiful, like, inch and a half long emerald beetle. It was so iridescent and green, and I loved it, and I wanted to keep it and it for it to be my familiar. But I let it go because you shouldn't take bugs and stuff out of national parks. But it had to have been on me, unseen and unnoticed. For at least an hour. And I don't know how that happened. Oh, that's so gross. It was beautiful, Brent. I won't have you naysay my familiar. Uh, it's so gross. <laughs> it would have been beautiful if it was like a pigeon or like a monitor lizard. If I if I had a pigeon on my shoulder for an hour and did not notice, that would be so much more upsetting to me than if it were just a bug. I feel like I would have gained a lifelong friend in that instance. I'd be like, oh my god, Pigeon, we're like the same person. <laughs> we're just both so chill. You're my shorm now. Yes, exactly so. <laughs> um, What else? Uh, just everybody spare a thought for Joe Johnson, insurance agent, not all heroes wear capes. Because <laughs> of the scene where Marco fucks up all these cars. <laughs> yeah, and Jake's dad is very, very upset about his baby. And Chapman oh. pretends that he cares about his car at all. <laughs> I liked Chapman pretending about that he cared about his car that he would later use in a drive-by. Yeah, uh, mine too. My, my baby also <laughs> as well. Oh, this is so upsetting. Human values. Um... A couple more things that I had. Jake at one point calls handguns primitive human technology, which is weird for Jake. That's an axe thing that I expect, uh, especially because primitive as they are, they are extremely good at putting small bits of metal into other people from quite a long way away. Yeah, and what more do you really want from a weapon, I guess? presumably to be able to embed it in the eyes of a statue that you have aimed at your <laughs> front door. Um, also, parking space guy, who's very angry at Jake's dad for using his unmarked parking space, but he's been parking there forever, so obviously it's his, is an archetype that we have all been made to interact with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Highly relatable. I would, I would run afoul of that person. I would take that parking spot. And then the just like last thing that I, I wanted to bring up before we call it to a close is that this is the 
second time in not that many books that Jake has been shot in the brain. Mm. And I feel like that's a drive in total that I really don't want to increment anymore, but I'm worried it's going to become his thing. I hope not. This book also called back to that time he was crushed as a fly. Yes. Which is some pretty intense gore. Yes. Uh, and it just made me think of the Alternomorph fly situation. I, I, I try not to think of fly as a dangerous morph, but it really is. Yeah, I mean, think about how many flies you've 86 in your lifetime, just without even yeah, thinking about it. A lot. I don't want to think about it. Any one of them could have been Jake. I mean, that's sort of on Jake. That's fair. I'm not a controller. He doesn't need to be hanging around. <laughs> oh, you know, and I just thought of this. So, the Frelda's maneuver. Yeah. When they're kidnapping Chapman, Axe is sort of half-morphed into his human morph so that he's not recognizable. And that's strange to me, because couldn't he just do a different combination of their genes? I'm curious what the mm. the science the quote-unquote science. I'm curious what the rules... <laughs> what the maneuver part of the Froless Maneuver yeah. is. What are the rules about the Froless Maneuver? Is there, like, a maximum time since you acquired the DNA that you can combine it? Or mm. is it just that any given set of DNA will always combine in the same way? Or what's what's the situation here? That's a good question, because we... Like, Axe morphs the same human variant combination of all the animorphs every single time like it's not like it's a different combination every time but i guess we don't know if that's like a thing that he chose or or if you just combine the the dna like it's just like a random chance like he is their their dna baby and that's the <laughs> dna that was birthed so, so that's what he's got <laughs> so a, a a baby yeah yeah a baby is the the thing yeah <laughs> Well, he's their baby, Brent. He's their baby, baby. We know he's that their baby, Brent. Brent, he's their baby. Go on. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh God, he's their group baby. He's their, he's their baby. baby. He's their baby, baby. Gotta love him. Uh, <laughs> nostalgia's a drug, kids. So, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. What was I gonna say? So we don't know enough about the Frollo's Maneuver to tell what is happening there. Oh, oh, we know that Axe's morph is a distinct morph because he incorporates spandex into it. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I, that's that's actually not, you know what, now that you mentioned that, that's weird because if they, if they put like, if they had... A, like a little spandex leotard that fit a golden eagle. Could they put that on? <laughs> Could they put that on Rachel while she's an eagle morph? And then when she morphs out and then back, it's still there? I don't know what purpose that would have, but could they? Based on what we've seen in the series so far, I have to say yes. That's delightful. Uh -huh. There's absolutely no functional use for that, but I really like the idea. I, mean, I like the idea that they could morph, like, Jake could morph the same rhinoceros that has, like, a ribbon around its neck every time. The functional use is that they could have their Animorphs superhero costumes the same in all morphs, <laughs> like Fantastic <laughs> Four style. They just have a, a stylized A on the front. <laughs> that's so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a wasted opportunity, Brent. Well, it's a it's a silver age thing for sure, I think. 
All right. I think that's everything. The only other thing I wanted to mention is that there's a point where they're voting and Axe and Rachel aren't there, but they all know how Axe and Rachel would vote. So they just sort of put their votes in in absentia, which I thought was a very funny and nice kind of group moment. Yeah. Like they know. It was entirely earned. Anything else? No, that's it. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Next week, we'll be doing book 32, The Separation. So tune in then. If you've got anything to say in the meantime, hit us up on Twitter at Fandalites. You can email us, fandalites at gmail.com. We've got a Tumblr, fandalites.tumblr.com. Thanks to Dustin Odell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. We also still have books that we are giving away. Uh, We're doing it. They're not even like a giveaway giveaway. We're just, we have, by we, I mean, Brent has books and is shipping out books. So if you want one, Look and see what we have on our list, and and we'll see if it's still available. And I don't know, tell somebody about this show if you like it. Yeah, that's our only. That's the only thing we ask. They'll, they'll take a they'll take a while to get there. It's it's yeah. There. Tell somebody. Yeah, but do, but do tell please do tell somebody. Rate and subscribe, etc. Five stars, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug. manages to disrupt a drive-by shooting the family goes into the woods i mean that's it that's what it is i'm sorry i'm sorry that's literally what happens but it's it's weird to hear yeah